Good morning, everybody, and a very warm welcome to those joining us today here at Hillhead Online for Morning Worship. You will have spotted that I'm not Anne, and Anne is unfortunately unwell today and not able to join us. So do please hold her in your thoughts and prayers at this time. And Brian, I know you're here, so if you could pass on our good wishes to Anne, that would be very much appreciated. This morning, we will be continuing our series of services in the Gospel of Luke. And in a few moments, Freya and Sarah will be lighting our candle. So if you would like to light a candle at that point, please make sure that you have one at hand. As well as myself this morning, we will hear Dr. Beth, Katrina H, Esan and Rachel. And our musician this morning is Paul F. This evening at 7pm, Robin Green will lead an online reflection entitled, What is Ecumenism? And of course, you're very welcome to join us if you would like to for that. And the link is in the email that you received yesterday. Just a reminder that I will be running a discussion group for anybody who is interested in baptism or covenanted membership, and that we hope to begin in early February. It is now almost certain that that will take place via Zoom because we already delightfully have four people representing three households other than my own wishing to take part. There is no pressure if you take part in that group to either be baptised or come into covenanted membership, but it is a really good opportunity to explore these topics with others. So if you're interested in joining that group, if you could let me know, please, by the end of this month so that we can fix a date or series of dates that work for those involved, that would be much appreciated. A couple of items of family news for us. Firstly, we have a thank you from Lena's mum for our prayers for Lena's dad. Brilliant news that he is now feeling a lot better than he was um, last week. But of course, please do continue to hold all the family in your thoughts and prayers as this is an ongoing situation. It's, it's not, a, he's not well, so we still need to keep praying for him. Some of you will know or have known the Reverend John Muckindoo, who was a close friend of Kerr Spears and occasional preacher at Hillhead, certainly around the time that I um, arrived at the church 12 years ago. Sad to say that, unfortunately, John died yesterday. And so there are no more details about that. But again, um, there are some quite strong Hillhead links. He was um, father-in-law to David Ferguson, so close family links with Caris and David. Next Sunday morning, it will be me again on duty and we will continue a bit further in Luke's Gospel. And then in the evening, we have the opportunity to hear Canon Oliver Brewer-Lennon, who will be leading a service online for the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity. I believe these are all the notices, so I'm going to hand over to Freya and Sarah to lead us in lighting our candles. As we gather for worship, let us join together to become the body of Christ. Christ is the light, the lights are white. May we glimpse Christ's light this day.
Just before we pray, I have just spotted that we have uh, Pam and therefore I presume Lilius online with us this morning. Lilius had her 102nd birthday on Friday just gone. So can we uh, congratulate her on that amazing milestone? Lovely to have you with us this morning. And so let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Holy God, who gave your people the gift of Sabbath, of a day to rest and be refreshed. We gather today in the name of Jesus, Lord of the Sabbath, to offer our worship, to bring our prayers and to listen for your voice speaking afresh to us. God, in whom time and eternity meet, we come to you in this moment, bringing with us the experiences of the past days and seeking your blessing for the days ahead. As we do so, we're mindful of the diversity of our experiences, each with our own mixture of gratitude and praise, regret and confession. In these moments, help us to open ourselves afresh to your gaze, allowing you to see both the positives we cannot see and the negatives we choose to hide even from ourselves. God, who calls us to live for you, to love as we are loved, and to model your values in the midst of the confusion and disorder of this damaged world, we ask that you would breathe into us new energy and enthusiasm so that we might lift your praise and glory each and every day. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. first Bible reading this morning is a selection from Luke. Now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heaven was opened 
and the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. During those days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And he spent the night in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose 12 of them, whom he also named apostles. Sometime later, Jesus took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face changed and his clothes became dazzling white. After the supper, he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, Pray that you may not come into the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Yet, not my will, but yours be done. They led Jesus away. When they came to the place that is called the skull, they crucified Jesus there with two criminals, one on his right and one on his left. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide his clothing. It was now about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, while the sun's light failed and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Then Jesus, crying with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. <laughs> Jesus was a devout Jew. He was recognised as a rabbi or teacher by those who followed him, believed by some to be a prophet, and eventually revealed as the Son of God, the Anointed One or Messiah. He was also a human being with finite physical and mental strength, limited reserves of energy, capable of wide-ranging emotions and somebody who needed both to eat and to sleep. He enjoyed the company of others and he also needed time by himself. Sometimes when we start thinking about Jesus and perhaps especially when we think about prayer, we need to be a little bit careful in case we project onto the gospel account some kind of spiritual superman. As we've heard already this morning, Luke makes many references to Jesus praying, but he doesn't actually tell us very much about what Jesus did or said when he was at prayer. And there is a risk, a totally understandable risk, that we fill in the gaps. Deciding how often he prayed, how long he prayed for, even what he prayed, when actually we're told very little about any of this. Of course, 
if we were to research the practice of first century rabbis, that would give us an indication of what he was likely to have said and how his prayer life might well have looked, but we cannot actually know. Perhaps the first thing worth noticing and reminding ourselves of is that Jesus definitely was a man of prayer, but also mostly his prayer life was private and not something anybody thought sufficiently remarkable to write about. As we catch glimpses of Jesus at prayer in Luke's gospel, we can see both that he prayed at significant moments in his life and ministry. So, for example, at his baptism and before he chose the 12 he called apostles. And also that he seems to have been somebody who had regular patterns of prayers, such as we are told his habit when in Jerusalem of going out to Mount of Olives to pray. This mixture of regular rhythms of prayer and moments of what seem to have been more focused and intentional prayer, I think is helpful for us to recognise. What we won't find is a blueprint for a daily quiet time or a monastic rule of life or anything of that kind. Pretty much we're not told whether Jesus knelt or sat or lay face down, or stood up with his hands raised. We don't know if he prayed for five minutes or five hours. We don't know whether his private prayers were sung, or spoken out loud, or were completely internal and silent. In fact, all we know is that he prayed regularly, in private, with his friends, and in public worship. It seems to me very striking that Luke only gives us three direct quotations of Jesus at prayer, and these are at the end of his life. Weighed down with grief and fear, as the inevitability of his execution and arrest draws near, Jesus prays that the story might have a different ending. Nearby, his closest friends who he chose after very careful prayer and with whom he shared everything, are fast asleep. Abandoned, alone and facing his own mortality, he weeps as he prays. Yet not my will, but yours. And then not long afterwards, as he was led away to be crucified, his clothes are torn from him and he faces the most humiliating and excruciating death as he will be hung naked upon a cross. And he prays again, Father, forgive them. And then perhaps most poignant of all, and right at the end of his life, it's quite probably the bedtime prayer of a Jewish child. Father, into your hands, I commend my spirit. So we know that Jesus was a man of prayer. We know that he was a person who he found rhythms and routines that sustained him. Somebody who prayed about important decisions somebody who earnestly sought to live as God desired and who, right at the end and undoubtedly in terrible pain, was able to entrust himself to God's safekeeping. We're going to continue to reflect on Jesus and prayer. But first, let's bring our thoughts so far to God as we join in the words of a Teze chant, O Lord, Hear my prayer.
Luke 11, 1 to 13. Jesus was praying in a certain place. And after he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught us his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone indebted to us. And do not bring us to the time of trial. And he said to them, suppose one of you has a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves of bread, for a friend of mine has arrived. And I have nothing to light, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and will give him anything because he is his friend, at least because of his persistence, he will get up and give him whatever he needs. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Search, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives, and everyone who searches, finds. And for everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. Is there, is there anyone among you who, if your child asks for a fish, will give a snake instead of a fish? Or if the child asks for an egg, will will give a scorpion. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him?
So as we've already seen, Luke's gospel makes many references to Jesus praying, both in the lead up to important events and in times of personal anguish and trauma. I do wonder how it might have felt for those who knew him as his disciples to have a rabbi who seemed to be so at ease with his prayer life. Possibly it was really inspiring, stirring in them a desire to have a richer, deeper and more natural prayer life. But also, perhaps it was discouraging, making them even more keenly aware of how difficult they found it to pray, how they struggled to stay awake if they prayed at night and how they weren't always sure what they should pray about. Two of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, have versions of what we've come to know as the Lord's Prayer. Now, scholars spend an awful lot of energy trying to work out which set of words is the older or more definitive, which bits have been added in or altered or taken away by which of the writers. But at their heart, whether it's Luke's version or Matthew's version, the prayer contains the same typically Jewish approach to prayer. There's just some slight differences in the emphasis. So was what we call the Lord's Prayer intended to be a pattern for prayer, a template, if you like? Or do we have a record of a formal liturgical prayer that came out of Jesus' teaching? And does it actually matter? Probably it was originally intended as a pattern. It was a, a class in the kind of ways that you might pray. And it also seems quite possible, maybe even probable, that we have a record in each of the Gospels about how that pattern came to be expressed liturgically, how it was used in worship, a bit in the way that we use it today. And does any of that matter? Actually, no, I don't think it does because it's the content and the intent of the prayer that's important. Not whether it was exactly these words, not whether it was prayed every week or every day in exactly this form, or whether it was intended as a class in what you might do. I'm really struck this week as I've looked through Luke quite closely to find what records there are of Jesus at prayer how the examples we have of his own prayers at his trial and in Gethsemane seem to have a strong similarity to aspects of the Lord's Prayer. If nothing else, Jesus practiced what he preached when it came to prayer. His own prayers, as recorded, seem to be very similar to what he taught his friends to do when they prayed. In each example of Jesus' prayers, he addresses God as Father, suggesting that the prayer arises or emerges in the context of a relationship with God. Now, whether or not this means some kind of idealised parent-child relationship, as we might understand it, seems to divide the scholars. But whatever he meant when he addressed God as Father, there is some sense of this is about kinship. This is about relationship. I'm talking to somebody I know, somebody who is important to me and to whom I'm important. These prayers are made to somebody who seems to be dependable and loving. In Gethsemane, we have two little echoes of the Lord's Prayer. He says to his followers, I've prayed that you will not come to a time of trial very close echo of one of the lines of the Lord prayer, Lord's Prayer. But here also we, ex we glimpse the most extreme example of thy will be done. Jesus expresses his heart cry that it might be another way, that the story might have a different ending. And yet he surrenders his desire to the greater purpose. Now this is scary stuff. This is a call about sacrifice. It's about letting go of the dreams and aspirations and handing himself over to God, no matter what the cost. 
thy will be done. When we pray that, that's pretty much what we're praying to. And we'll come back and think about that more when we look at discipleship in the Gospel of Luke. But perhaps for now, it's enough to say that Jesus didn't ask his, his followers to pray or do anything that he wouldn't pray or do himself. Arrested, tried, beaten, and now fa facing this humiliating execution, Jesus prays for forgiveness for those who've carried out this terrible act. With a compassion that I can't begin to understand, he adds, they don't know what they're doing. Whenever we pray the Lord's Prayer, we ask not God not only to forgive us the transgressions and failings that we're aware of, we also promise to go that step further and forgive those who have wronged us or hurt us. Forgiveness is hard and humanly, sometimes it is impossible. Forgiveness does not deny the significance or consequences of harm or hurt that has been caused. To forgive someone is not to say it didn't matter, is not to say there should not be justice, is not to say there should not be some kind of restoration or repentance. Quite the opposite. These are all interconnected. We don't have time to explore that fully today, of course. But in his time of deepest need and greatest isolation, Jesus, the man, perhaps can't forgive himself. But he holds on to that principle of forgiveness and says, Father, forgive them. God, will you forgive these people? The subtle difference between praying for God to do it and doing it. But the aspiration is that we might forgive. And of course, if we want to get all theological, Jesus is divine. And so in praying it, he also enacts it. Lastly, just before he dies, Jesus commends himself to God's safekeeping. That idea of ending the day or of ending one's life held safe in God's embrace was really important. Tidying up the loose ends as best as we can. Letting go of fear and anxiety and resting in God's love. I suspect very often for us, that's more an aspiration than an experience. But it's a good and helpful um, practice, pattern even, sorry, a good and helpful pattern to follow. And I wonder if maybe that's why in the, the versions of the Lord's Prayer that have been handed down through the centuries, those extra words have been added on in the end, very lyrical, very hopeful. Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Into your hands, I commend my spirit, trusting that you are God and your power, your glory, your kingdom, where there is peace and hope and love and an end to death. That is where we are headed. So thus far, we have seen how a central part of Jesus' teaching on prayer is firmly rooted in first century Judaism. And it echoes the few records we have of his own prayers. But then we've got that extra bit that Luke adds on with this particularly strange parable. Do you remember? In the middle of the night, somebody gets up, comes and bangs on the door of their friend and says, I need some bread. Somebody's arrived at my house to stay and I've got nothing to give them. In a 21st century Western European context, that doesn't make much sense, if any. We need to understand the, the culture and honour codes of the time in which the story is told. The reality is, if somebody turned up at your house late at night, honour required that you provided them with food. And if you didn't provide them with food, that was not just about poor hospitality. It was shameful. There were no 24-hour convenience stores. You couldn't just nip out to the BP garage and buy some bread and milk. There would be no option to go to find a neighbour and see if they could lend you some bread. 
But even that was complicated because if they lent you the bread, you would be indebted to them. Honour would require that at some future date, you paid back in kind. It's not just about I borrow a loaf, I give back a loaf. This was a kind of an ethical uh, debt that you had to them. But also, when you banged on the door of that house, it wouldn't just wake up one person, it would wake up the whole household. And unlike our houses, where we would have a, a bedroom for the parents and probably a bedroom for at least one between two for the children and possibly one each for the children, and if you were rich enough to have servants, they would be in another part of the house, everybody pretty much slept in the same room. And so this person who's woken up is climbing over and around everybody else in the dark to go and find some bread. It's a huge undertaking. And then they give them the bread. And so the person is okay for now. They've got the bread. They look okay to their guests. But there's a whole thing about disturbance and frustration going on there to say nothing of the shame and the debt. And what Jesus is saying basically to his followers is, look, when you talk to God, it's not like that at all. It doesn't matter if you come to God in the middle of the night with your prayers for your needs to be met. God isn't going to send you away. God isn't going to grumble. God isn't going to respond grudgingly. And importantly, you don't have to pay God back at a future date, if that were even a thing you could do. So when his followers pray, give us today our daily bread. God, will you meet our needs for the day? They can do that with confidence. It's interesting, isn't it, that some, some versions of the Lord's Prayer, rather than trespasses or sins, use debts and debtors. And I wonder if in that somewhere is this same kind of honour code understanding. We ask to be forgiven, set free from those those shame on our debts and to do that for other people as we pray so we should live but also Jesus urges his friends to keep on following he says look God can be trusted God isn't going to play tricks on you God isn't going to give you a snake if you ask for a fish now that seems weird to us but apparently If you have it at a distance, a fish and a snake might look quite similar. God's not going to give you a scorpion curled up if you ask for an egg. Again, apparently a curled up scorpion at a distance can look a bit like an egg. Or in the Matthew version, or you get all sorts of complications about which precise words belong to who. God's not going to give you a stone if you ask for bread. God is trustworthy. If you ask God for something that is consistent with God's will, then God will honour that. He won't play tricks on you. And we need to be careful, I think, that this is not an invitation to, to prosperity theology. This doesn't say, ask God for your heart's desire and you will get it. That's not what he's talking about. If you read Luke carefully, he's talking about some of this in relationship to the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is that which we experience in wisdom, in discernment, in compassion, in kindness. So we pray confidently to the God who will hear, the God who won't pay tricks on us, the God who doesn't expect us to pay back for what we've received, the God who loves us and longs for us to flourish. So that's where we come back. This God to whom we pray gives us a way to get back into that right place with God, to align ourselves again with God's values. We can say, look, God, I'm really sorry I messed up this week, knowing that God will forgive us. We can bring our concerns for the world, the injustice, the violence, the poverty, the disease, whatever it is, and pray to God because we know that the God whose rule is characterised by justice and peace and hope and sufficiency will hear us and will respond. Not with a magic spell, because that ain't how it works. But God has given us a prayer and the gift of prayer 
to bring our thoughts and our concerns to God and to realign our understandings with the ways of God as we go back out into the world. It isn't easy to pray. We all need guidance and help to work out how to do it. And if I can speak for myself and I don't think I'm that unusual, there are times when I sit down to pray and my mind wanders. There are many nights that if I try to pray, I fall asleep. But I also find whenever I try that there is a God who is there waiting to hear me, a God who's faithful and dependable. As we continue in our endeavours to pray, not just on a Sunday service, but throughout our lives, let's be assured that in Jesus, we have a friend who fully understands the challenge that he gives us when he calls us to pray. see how this goes. Our prayer this morning is based off a reflection, This is How We'll Make It, by Reverend Mihi Kim Kort, then weaves in bits of the poem, Do the Next Thing. Ironically, it's not gray and wet today like it is most Scottish days. If you look closely at the ground, you can see the daffodils, the early daffodils pushing through the ground already, promising spring is soon on its way. But these signs are barely encouraging in the somber, weighty world we move in today. Omicron is on the rise, wars are threatened, and international tensions increase daily. Online, post after post is something about the most recent political dra drama, scandals with the royal family, speculations about another American uprising, and something about women being imprisoned and killed, something about guns, violence, and hunger. Such a stark contrast to Epiphany just a short 10 days ago. Where is the light of Christmas? Wonder, magic of Epiphany. Is it really gone so soon? It can make anyone want to crawl into bed and hide under the duvet until spring. It also brings to mind the Kyrie Gregorian chant, Lord have mercy upon us. Christ have mercy upon us. Lord have mercy upon us. 
Certainly mercy is what we need right now, but somehow this chant also feels like a protest chant. Because even as you or I read or sing or think these words calling for mercy, we do so with the hope and the belief that God's mercy is already here among us. So I keep going. I roll out of bed and do the next thing. I do it faithfully. I do it with prayer. I do it reliantly, casting all care. I do it with reverence, tracing his hand, who placed it before me with earnest command. I do it in his omnipotence, safe underneath his guarding wing. I leave all results and simply do the next thing. I work at lectures. I go to the grocery store. I clean the house and feed the animals. I spend time with Larissa, play games with my friends, and lead our D&D sessions, trusting that somehow it'll mean something. That I am richly blessed with the life, the friends, the church community that I have. That life is meant to be shared with my partner, my friends, and with my animals. Even through the sad and hard times, because those are the times that will shape my empathy and compassion. All of this is worship to our Father in heaven, and this is how we'll make it. In that line, our prayer calendar this week encourage us to pray for Jean R., Sylvia and Norman, Ailey, John, Owen and Ethan, Joan R., Margaret S., Mary and Ian, Betty, Graham, Ali and family, and Lena and George. Lord, I pray that you would bless each and every one of those people in their daily walks with you. Let them begin to see the mundane as acts of worship to you, no matter how tedious and boring. The Scottish Baptist Union also asks for us to pray for Aloha Baptist Church. They ask that we pray for the nursery and the school-aged children, as well as the adults to grow in knowledge and the love of God and to experience the fellowship of being God's family. Allness Baptist Church also asks that we pray for them as a fellowship as they finish their building work and seek to use their building as an integral part of their evangelism and outreach when they are able to resume in-person services. As we go through the rest of our day and this week, let this last verse of my favorite poem stay with us. Looking for Jesus ever serener, working or suffering be thy demeanor. In his dear presence, the rest of his calm, the light of his countenance, be thy song. Strong in his faithfulness, praise and sing. Then, as he beckons thee, do the next thing. Amen.
May our parent God assure us that we are loved. May our teacher Jesus accompany us at all times. May our life-giving Holy Spirit inspire us to live fully, so that whatever the future holds, we may know peace as we do the next thing. Amen.